Well, let's see. Let's get started. It's great to start a class on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> That's what I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start with. Uh, I'm going to pass around, uh, pass around a uh, roll just to put your name on there and let, let us know you're, you're here. Uh, I am uh, Carrie Patterson. Some of you know me, some of you may not know me, some of you may have heard about me. <laughs> so, but uh, I'm a shepherd here at Otter Creek, and, and uh, uh, I've got some really strong partners on my team who are, who are uh, helping me with this class uh, this quarter. Jeannie and Mike Cagle are a part of the team. Lincoln Coggin is a part of the team, and Bill Reeder's son, William Reeder, is a part of the team. So William's sort of represented here today. Uh, so let me pass out, let me pass out uh, just this is just a schedule for the, for the semester. The quarter, whatever this is, September, October, November, December. Oh, okay. And I'm probably going to have to go over some of this uh, next week when everybody's here. Uh, I I want to just I'm going to talk about uh, a couple of the of the disciplines of. Of uh, a couple of disciplines of the of discipleship in a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about I want to talk a little bit about uh, why I'm here and why I'm teaching this uh, class. Uh, I'm 72 years old, and I've been an absolute failure at disciple making almost my entire life, and. Uh, I decided when when uh, Mark left, and some of you were there. I talked about when Mark's class ended. Uh, Mark uh, Mark had had decided to go uh, start a house church. Uh, I decided I was going to try to pick up, not where he left off. It's awfully hard to pick up where uh, Mark leaves off, but uh, uh, and have a class this this fall that's about discipleship. So, uh, and I started praying at that time that uh, uh, God would do something for me that I hadn't, uh, really hadn't permitted Him to do for my entire life. And that's uh, get together with other people to talk about discipleship. And so I started praying for him, asking him to show me some men that I could invite into uh, 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 a discipling group, and those men would commit to spend roughly six months together just uh, trying to get our arms around what, it, what a disciple is and what it means for how we live our lives. Uh, and I didn't have to wait very long. 
Uh, I go to the Y every morning and work out. It's part of my uh, uh, maintain my health routine. And I made friends with a couple of guys that, one guy that I had known, well, sort of known for a long time, and one guy that lived on my street. And we've lived on this street for uh, 17 years. And it has uh, 10 houses on it. And I hadn't met this guy. So you can tell how... <laughs> you can you can tell how far back in the, in the, on the learning curve I was. Uh, but I asked them, and, and the other guy, turns out, was from my hometown. And, 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 but he was, we're, we're 10 years apart in age, so he's 10 years younger than I am. So I, didn't, I, didn't, I knew his family, but I didn't know him personally. And I met him at the Y. And God's saying to me, okay. And there was another. There was another guy as well. And God was saying to me, "Okay, Carrie, these are the three guys. Ask them." So, I uh, let's see. I ask the neighbor first. And it's kind of hard to call him a neighbor if I didn't know him in 17 years living on the street with him. But uh, and he said yes. And I ask. Uh, the guy from my hometown, and he said yes. And I asked somebody from Otter Creek, and he turned me down flat. (laughs) So so I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, But we started, we started uh, three weeks ago, we started meeting uh, uh, once a week for an hour and a half. And we're going through We're going through this this book, which is 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 going to be the foundation of this course. It's called uh, uh, Discipleship Essentials: A Guide to Building Your Life in Christ. And I'm going to talk about the book some this morning. Uh, so I am I am really blessed that uh, that God made good on His promise to help me get started in disciple-making before I stood up here on Sunday morning to start teaching a a discipleship class. So I am grateful for everyone's uh, presence. Uh, Mike has come in. I I told him who was sharing the the class with me, and he's come in. So I'm going to talk about uh, the first two subjects in this class, in this uh, book, and... uh, at, at, a, at a pretty early point in, the, in our time together, I'm going to talk about why this book is good and why it's not so good for a class like this. So uh, let me get started here. I kind of I changed the title of the course. Of, I mean, it might have been... It might have been better to just steal his subline, the guide to building your life in Christ. But, and I look at that becoming a better follower of Christ, and I say, "Yeah, it would have been good, Kerry. What would you? T- what were you thinking?" So, uh, this is the book. Uh, we're going to use this book as our outline for the subjects we're going to talk about 
with regard to disciple making throughout the, the rest of the year, and, uh, or discipleship, I should say. And, uh, and it, it is a well-documented guide for making disciples in uh, small group settings. Uh, they barely endorse using this book in a classroom setting. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that uh, in a minute. You can, you can purchase this book on Amazon if you're, if you're interested. And if you're a Prime member, you can get it the next day. If you're not, you have to wait a little while. So uh, growing in, in, in terms of our relationship with Jesus and become better followers of his is one of the purposes of this course. In doing that, we'll concentrate in four major uh, areas, growing up in Christ. I'm going to show you in detail what's in these areas in a, in a minute. Growing up in Christ, understanding the message of Christ, becoming like Christ, and serving Christ. And uh, we're going to, to explore the fundamental principles of discipleship and, uh, and how they need to be... Uh, relational for them to work well and uh, if, if you're like me you don't get much relational connection and energy in a Bible class like this so this is not the place where we're going to apply what we're talking about but uh, we will we will uh, use the subject matter that's there and what 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 we would like to see happen is that as we get into this that uh, God will put it on some of your hearts to form a discipleship group. And uh, when you see how simple it is to use, use some material like this book here, then, uh, and some of you miss, missed out on my talking about uh, needing to form a disciple group myself before I stood up here on Sunday morning to talk about and. That has happened over the last uh, month or so. Uh, but it's not as hard as people think in terms, of, in terms of finding people who are hungry for this relational kind of approach to, to uh, looking at the Bible and looking at what discipleship is. So it, it's our hope that uh, your hearts will be pricked as we go along, and then we want to help you uh, form a discipling group of your own uh, based on that. So that's, uh, that's, what's, uh, that's what's going on. That's why I said, let's talk about this. So here are the topics for, the, uh, for our class. In the Growing Up in Christ column, we'll talk about the first two today, making disciples and being a disciple. And then it's just a comprehensive look at the principles and the things that that have that God is trying to get into our hearts to be a to be a disciple of His, and uh, so we'll look into those, and we'll look into that one now. So uh, making making disciples is the place you you start off in a in a. Uh, discipleship essentials course for every one of the making uh, uh, every one of the topics uh, 
There is a core truth that we talk about. There is a memory verse. We are in my group of three. We have a memory verse we have to come to the group with uh, memorized each week. And then there are key references. So I'm going to talk our way through this particular making disciples, and then I'll talk talk about the second one too, discipling. And I'm going to have to do that fairly quickly, but we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. So, uh, what is discipling or making disciples? It's an intentional relationship in which we walk alongside other disciples to encourage, equip, and challenge one another in love to grow toward maturity in Christ. This includes equipping the disciple to make disciples who make disciples. We'll talk about that chain of make disciples uh, who make disciples uh, this morning. And so, uh, what's, this, what's this memory verse called? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. And uh, so, that, that, is the, uh, that is the verse that uh, then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And usually, people who have been around a long time or up in years will say, and lo. <laughs> but uh, this, this is the NIV, and so, it's, so it says... And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, so uh, let's look at the key passages, and then we'll, and then we'll look at, uh, at some commentary on all of this. Uh, this is just simply uh, uh, Jesus selecting the 12 apostles. And uh, the first verse, I think, is really important. One of those days Jesus went out to a mountain to pray and spent the night praying to God. What do you think if he was going to do what he's going to do the next day he was praying about? He was going to select 12 men. So what do you think he was praying about? Were there just 12 disciples around him at the time? No. There were a lot. Well, don't you think he would ask God, okay, tell me which ones? <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think he's praying about that, but I think he's also praying about uh, what goes on, what happens now as we start this thing of, uh, of, of getting a foothold in the world with the good news that God is bringing. Uh, a little bit later, he, uh, he sends them out when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And then uh, a few verses later, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. 
Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. What Jesus instructed his disciples to do right here is the fundamental principle of a disciple-making movement that is bringing millions to Christ today where you, you go into a village, you find a, what's called a person of peace, you settle down with him, and you engage in something called Discovery Bible Studies that uh, are just opening up, opening up the Word and letting the Word, uh, letting the Holy Spirit take over and teach the, the uh, people the good news of Jesus. So there, it's really, it's, and, and, one of the ministries that we have here at Otter Creek, the Living Water Project, is, is putting wells in place, and the well is probably doing some of this work, where this ministry, where these kinds of ministries are going on. And so it's a great, great opportunity to, to, uh, to do discipleship, uh, just like Jesus showed his uh, disciples. So uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, a biblical call to making disciples. Jesus made disciples by selecting a few that he poured his life into. He didn't, as you'll see as we go through this, a lot of people say, uh, why, why did he choose, choose 12 from a large crowd? Why, why, why didn't he create a mass movement? Uh, Jesus is cautious about the crowds clamoring to him because of, uh, of the marvelous signs he was doing. But this passage from John 2, 24 uh, says, But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. That may be a... a, a an indicator that even though he ministered to these ministered to these uh, masses, he didn't want to stake the future of the uh, spreading of the gospel uh, to those. So uh, there's some other there's some other writers uh, that have uh, talked about this uh, uh, since then, of course. Uh, Disciples can't be mass-produced, but are the product of intimate and personal involvement. A.B. Bruce is a Scottish theologian, and he, uh, he said, the careful, painstaking education of disciples secured that the teacher's influence on the world should be permanent, that his kingdom should be founded on deep and indestructible convictions in the minds of a few, not on the shifting sands of superficial impressions in, on the midst of many. So it's just saying that Jesus' method was to, to pour himself deeply into a few who would become the empowered disciples who would then turn around and pour themselves deeply into a few. And uh, this, uh, this would result in, in multiplication. Uh, Robert Coleman uh, 
wrote a book about the time I was in college entitled The Master Plan of Evangelism. And he, he puts it this way, one must decide where he wants his ministry to count in the momentary applause of popular recognition or the reproduction of his life in a few chosen men who will carry on his work after he is gone. This is clearly what Jesus did. But, if you, if you, if you look at this, that's also what Paul did. Uh, they had the same goal. Uh, Paul's kind of uh, mission statement for his for his life is in first uh, is in Colossians 1, 28 and twenty nine. Uh, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I stringently, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So he picked up the, the Great Commission and uh, his passion for this when he was reflecting on the agony of uh, Christians uh, struggling with their maturity in Christ is seen where he, we, he compares that struggle of his with the, with the pains of childbirth for a woman. So it was really important to him. And, and he, he basically invested in individuals, he, especially Timothy. But if you look in his letters, uh, it, was, uh, it, was not, it was not just Timothy, but he had, special, he had special words for Timothy. This verse, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, now that's a, that's a, you can remember that, right? You got it in 2.2, there aren't many, okay, maybe you can't. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 2, uh, says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Right there in that statement is four generations of disciple making. Paul teaching Timothy, Timothy teaching reliable people, and those reliable people teaching others. So Paul, Paul really put it into practice and, and, uh, and uh, made this, uh, made this uh, method of disciple-making work. Uh, and, and of course, as I started to say earlier, if you look at Paul's letters, he had Titus and Silas and Euodia and Syntyche and Epaphroditus and Priscilla and Aquila that were all in this same relationship with him. So the Bible teaches us uh, not only the message of faith, but the method by which that faith is passed on to future generations through Paul's example of intimate modeling. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.16 and 1 Thessalonians 1.6 contain these phrases, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So this is, this is just uh, a look at what Jesus and Paul did. What do we, what do we say about disciple-making today? Uh, this, comes from, this comes from this uh, book that we're using for reference here, the statement at the top. Disciple-making ensures that the gospel is embedded deeply in the lives of mature believers who search as, 
serve as links to the future. Discipling then is a relationship where we intentionally walk alongside a growing disciple or disciples in order to encourage, correct, and challenge them in love to grow toward maturity in Christ. There are three important ingredients to this that, that are there for sure. It's, it's not that this can't be here in larger groups, but it really needs to be a, a fairly small group of people. And the first one is relational vulnerability. Being honest and self-disclosing and having confessional relationships with other people uh, gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to interact with the other person and minister to me and interact with me and enter to the other person. So this 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 continuing work of the Holy Spirit to teach us as we as we're coming along together. Uh, the centrality of the truth. People open their hearts to one another around the truth of God's Word and the Lord begins to rebuild their lives from the inside out. Uh, I think that's pretty clear to us that the Word has to be central in, these, uh, in this discipling process. And mutual accountability. It's really, it's really great. I, I did, for, before some of you here got here, I described a discipling group and I, that I'm in. It's got three people. And we come and are together uh, every Tuesday. And uh, we have gotten that we have to hold each other accountable to, for us to get the most out of this process of becoming uh, disciples of Jesus. So we, we give the authority to somebody else to hold us accountable, and uh, we have we have signed a covenant that says we will do that from now until six months from now when we're when we're out looking for others to do this. Mike, why do you, uh, why do you think people's reactions to these three ingredients will be? Well, I have something to gauge that on because the the two other guys that I that I asked to uh, join me. Uh, they didn't balk at this relational aspect of it at all. It is, it is very, very important. The, the word is right in, in front of us all the time, and and we, when we, when we come to our meetings, there are things that uh, we have committed to each other that we are that we were going to do over the previous week, and we, we go over those. So. Do you think this may be one of the reasons why the God of Mark Creek said no? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not going to get into that. Gary, <laughs> it seems like, I mean, these things are kind of countercultural, you know? I think, I think so many people today are so, they don't want to have to be show vulnerability to anybody yeah, else. I they, know. And they don't want to say that there is truth. There is an absolute truth. Yeah. And they don't want to say, I, I'm accountable to you. No, I'm only accountable to myself. It's On the other hand, I believe that there are people out there that God has already tapped on the shoulder if we just look for them. And uh, we can join. I we mean, can join. Like the heart of Christ. Yeah, we, we go to this public place every Tuesday morning. And there are two other Bible studies going on there at the same time. So 
Maybe it's not so countercultural. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, here, I didn't do this, but I'm an engineer and have got a lot of math background. I love this illustration. Uh, it comes out of this book. Uh, so there, look at three different situations. You've got a hotshot evangelist that can, that can convert a person every day of the year. So in a year's time, he converts 365 people. And in the other column, you start out with one discipler and one disciple. So you have two, and that, that uh, second person becomes a disciple at the end of the year. And then those two go out and find another person and disciple them. So you have four at the end of the next year. And so when you look down here at uh, 16 years from now, that multiplication movement has, has left the uh, hotshot evangelist in the dust. But it's very clear that if you're sitting up here in these first few years and, you're, and, you, and you had cognizance of this guy converting 365 a year and you're looking at 8 and 16 and 32, it takes a long time for this multi multiplying factor to mature and get to, get to this point down in here. Yeah. I think it's important because you never know when you disciple someone how that's going to play out. That's right. And Jenny, uh, a couple came into town the other day, good friends of ours. Jenny and I had the opportunity to help lead him to Christ. Um, and and we, so they were in town, we met them for dinner. And, and he, all he was talking about was the Bible studies that he was leading during the week. Yeah. And, uh, and the men that he was working with and uh, you know, you just never know what the impact's going to be down the road. Yeah. Yeah, because there, just just imagine how many discipling stories there are down that 16 years. Things that God made happen to make that make those numbers work. Um. All right. So let's talk about. I mean, some of this, some of this disciple making, I think, is challenging for us because we have this. Uh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, have a, I don't have a very outgoing personality and such, and and, and uh, so we think that it's hard to get past this. But uh, I'm hoping that we see lots of us being involved in this before this. Uh, this uh, term is over. So the next one is being a disciple. Uh, and it doesn't get a whole lot easier when you start when you start talking about being a disciple. Uh, the core truth asks the question, what is a disciple? And the answer is a disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Christ to come alive in us. Simple enough, but very, very challenging. 
the memory verse is uh, is taken from a time when Jesus was talking about the the challenge before uh, his disciples. Then he said to them all, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will save it." And then the key. Uh, the key reference is uh, Jesus, I'm, and I'm going to read this because this is a very, very important because it focuses in on what happens with, with Simon Peter and, uh, and his fishing party. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Then when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. How does that strike you? How does the left everything strike you. A few minutes before that, it would have been easier because he didn't have anything. Yeah, he had a few boats of fish. That's right. That's right. Successful people struggle, I think, more so than the unsuccessful. The unsuccessful are more went to Peter any different from the call we have? So, uh, there's a... How many have read a book called The Road Less Traveled? Three of us? Okay. It's been, a, been around quite a while. Maybe that's why it was some of... No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. I chose to say that. <laughs> well, that's. I was, uh, never mind. And you are older than me. So yeah. <laughs> it was on your recommendation yeah. that I read. He had to get that. Out, he had to get that out that I'm older than he was, because it wouldn't be. No, never mind. Uh, it begins. He begins this book talking about the road most traveled versus the road less traveled. And he, uh, he casts it in terms of the road most traveled is the road of moaning and grumbling 
versus the road of accepting life's difficulties and meeting them head on. And it's, uh, and it's very similar to Jesus' uh, to Jesus' wide gate and broad way and His small gate and narrow road that He talks about in, when He's talking about discipleship. He calls us to follow the road less traveled. Uh, Mark uh, 8, 27 through 35 may be some of the hardest sayings of Jesus. Uh, it it uh, causes people to say, who is this man? And... Uh, and then he asks, whom, whom do you say that I am? And Peter answers that this interchange is pretty familiar to us. Peter correctly says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus accepted the answer, but immediately started to fill those words with unexpected meaning. He pointed forward to his suffering, rejection, ultimate death, and, res- and resurrection, and and Peter couldn't handle this because why couldn't Peter handle this? What did the word Messiah mean to him? More like kingship. Yeah. Becoming a ruler. Yeah. Authority. Yeah. Having great. Taking over Caesar. Yeah. And and uh, Peter also knew that this same path was ahead for him. So he knew that there would be no resurrection without crucifixion for the disciples as well, the giving of themselves as well. Um, So Jesus' difficult road is uh, less traveled. There's only one road to life. The road ends the other side of the empty tomb. And we do not get there except through the cross. That's a quote from one of the uh, co-writers of the book. Uh, Jesus gave his hard saying. Not only it wasn't just he wasn't just talking to his disciples. He was talking to the multitudes as well. And he was up front with the followers. He he in effect said, "If anyone would follow me, and I hope you will, because I give you abundant life, this is what you are in for." So he didn't, he didn't sugarcoat it or anything. He told them what, uh, what the road less traveled would be. And he used, and he used uh, three vivid phrases to describe the road less traveled. Deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life for my sake. Uh, so when we think about ourselves, we, uh, denying ourselves, uh, we think of things it means, but there, there, there are things that it does not mean. It does not necessarily mean de- de- uh, uh, denying things, although that can be part of the call. We don't have to give up our self-worth, who we are. Uh, uh, we don't have to deny our feelings. We don't have to deny ourselves happiness. And uh, some people like this, we don't have to, de- have to deny our brains to, uh, to deny ourselves. What, de- what denying yourself means is that we deny our self-lordship. And I really like this because 
We say no to the God who is me. We reject the demands of the God who is me. We refuse to obey the claims of the God who is me. We issue a decisive no. I do not know, Lord, me. I do not bow down to him or her anymore. Jesus calls us to say no to ourselves so we can say yes to him. Does that... Does that uh, strike you as as a true plan that you could that you can get into? Or are there challenges with it? Are there challenges with that? What are they? What are some of those challenges with that? Things we want. What? Things we want. Yeah. You know, I think back here. I think back here in this in this uh, uh, th- in this statement that I read. If anyone would follow me, and I hope you will, because I will give you abundant life. This is what you're in for. I think we, I think we sometimes leave out that. And I hope you will, because I can give you abundant life. And we just we just get lost in the in the what I'm having to give up. I think you have to it has to really be an intentional thing we do. And if you practice uh, if you practice something, and you, it it becomes a part of. You. And, and it, when it becomes a part of you, it does. You don't have to think about it. It's just part of who you are. Yeah. It truly became that for his disciples, didn't it? And 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 we have the responsibility to uh, to sign up for that. Take. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say I think that in our in our culture. Like it's easy for us to sit in here and to talk about it like this, but terms that might be more familiar, autonomy, independence, mm-hmm. control, yeah. stability, yeah. all of these things which are virtues in the American society, those are the things that we're being asked to submit. Yeah. And that sounds different than, you know, in the, in kind of the religious well, of course, I don't want to be a god to myself. I want to, you know, but I also want to be able to provide for my family, and I want to, you know, those, those, there's a, there's a, a tension there that's greater. Um, and terminology matters uh, in how we, how we look at it. Yeah, I think um, Mike. Uh, in addition to what Scott's saying, here's what I'm finding as I walk with people: uh, they have an identity that they're not worthy and they can't they, they have a hard time accepting God's love must last it so if, if I'm not worthy if I don't believe God's going to love me I, I can't give up what I have yeah I can't nothing. give up yeah I can't give up what I'm holding on to for nothing in return that's right yeah. and, and I'm just going to be left empty and so but it's a it's a miserable situation. But people find it hard to believe that God's willing to give me the abundant life for the life that I've lived. 
And it's just a human way of looking at God not and missing God's grace in the process. And uh, and I can tell you what the God's word says about you, but they still look at me and go, I just you just see it in their eyes. I just can't believe it. Yeah. Well, let's look about, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, deny yourself and uh, let's talk about taking up your cross. Uh, of course, we, we have the picture of that that was in the minds of the people Jesus was talking to of a criminal carrying a crossbeam on which he was to be publicly executed. And because he had received a death sentence, there wasn't anything else in front of him. You know, everything, uh, it just compelled him to abandon any earthly hopes or ambitions because he knew he was going to the cross and going to die. So uh, we are called to think of ourselves as already dead. To, uh, <clears throat> sorry, to bury all of our earthly hopes and dreams, to bury the plans and agendas we made for ourselves. This is very hard. It's got to be very hard. He will, he will either... And, and one of the things that I like about... This is a statement from the, from the text. He will either rescue our dreams or replace them with dreams and plans of His own. So it's not that we... It's not that we leave behind our dreams and don't get to have a, a, a picture of a, a glorious dream in front of Him. Uh, it's a hard saying, but it's liberating as well. Uh, human bondage, the result of being our own gods, we're freed from. We're liberated from that. Uh, freedom comes when we live as though the gods who are us have already died. So if, if we've got this uh, worldly uh, conviction that uh, is not founded in Jesus and He asks us to die to ourselves, we've got to leave that behind and move forward with this new self that He has he is given, given to us. Uh, the paradox of the road less traveled. We finally find ourselves when we lose ourselves in Jesus, for Jesus' sake. Uh, saying to Him, here's my home, here's my checkbook, here's my talents, my brain, my heart, my hands, my feet, my mouth, here, it's all yours. Use it to glorify yourself and further your purpose on earth. That's what's being said. And then uh, there are a couple of quotes. Does anybody know who Jim Elliott was? Scott? Who was he? He was a missionary that was uh, martyred going to try to reach an unreached people. Group. Yeah. Quite some time ago. Yeah. Well, about, I think it's about four years before. Uh, he suffered martyrdom. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
his martyrdom didn't take what he had gained away from him. And he, he knew that. His wife has come, become about as famous as he, Elizabeth Elliot. So in Paul's words from Philippians 3, uh, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we've talked about making disciples and we've talked about what a disciple is. Uh, next week, William and I will talk about quiet time and Bible study, about those two disciplines in our lives. And we're, we're going to share some more things about practical steps for discipleship maturing in our own lives as we go through these disciplines. So does anybody have anything they'd like to say as we close? Mike, would you lead us in a prayer? Father God, we just thank You so very much that You pursued us even though we weren't pursuing You always. And by Your grace, You love us and You have drawn us near. And You have called us to be Your disciples, disciples of our Lord Jesus. And Father, all those things in our lives that would hinder us from seeing the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, I pray that You will help us to see them for what they really are so that we may see the truth and Your truth will set us free. Father, I pray that these words that were shared today will reside in our hearts and our minds, that we will meditate upon them and listen to Your Spirit as it speaks to our spirit, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.